Reading this evening comes from two psalms. First of all, Psalm 126, and then Psalm 127. Be found on uh, page 623 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they, cont- when they contend with their enemies in the gate. What we're going to do tonight is to have... Um, to look at the two Psalms and try to draw um, some application from it. The idea is that we are on this journey um, and uh, these are pilgrim Psalms as best we can tell. It may well be that these are exiled people, perhaps for the first time coming out of Babylon, restored to Jerusalem with all of the emotion and uh, the, the tradition and the sense of anticipation. May well be, on the other hand, people doing their annual pilgrimage, going to reaffirm their relationships and vows in Jerusalem. Either way, these are psalms for the journey. And they come, some are in the higher key, some are in the, in the, in the lower key. Some are praise, some are prayers, some are depressive, some are in a high note. Such is life. And these psalms resonate that they are true to life. For example, if you just turn back, and uh, we've only got one cross-reference in the sermon, so keep your Bibles open here. You won't have to have a paper chase. For example, if you looked at Psalm 120, it comes as a prayer. Uh, I call on the Lord in my distress. It's hardly a psalm of praise, is it? Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Sometimes we have to say that sort of prayer. And indeed, in Psalm 122, this is in a higher key. I rejoiced with those who said to me, come on, let's go to worship. Let's worship the Lord. So one is a prayer, one is a reaffirmation. Let's journey together. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. So tonight we are reflecting on two uh, psalms as, as they've been read. And what I'd like to do, and hopefully this will, will help, we're going to draw two contrasting words from each psalm. Okay? Two contrasting words that will be drawn from each psalm. But before we do that, let me just 
re-emphasize again where we're going in the whole of this series. The essential purpose, though not the primary one, but the essential purpose of this series is not so much to explain what they mean. You can do a bit of that work yourself. We've already sung from this. Read it and meditate. That's not so difficult. I don't even think you need a preacher or a teacher to, to do that. The, so therefore, the purpose of this series is not so much to explain what they mean. The emphasis, largely, is to experience how they feel. What was it like on the journey? What was it like? Were we fellow worshippers? Or were there people dragging their feet and whinging all the way? Was it ideal circumstances? Or was it such difficult heartache and drudgery as we journey together? Well, such is life. And what I'm interested in as we look at these psalms is how do they feel? What is, what's it like to journey together? So we're deliberately low on explanation. We are high on imagination. You think, you imagine, what was it like? What would it be like? Just one illustration, and then we'll go straight into this psalm. You, you will note, and Jesus did this deliberately, and that's why we are often drawn into the parables that Jesus gave, for this reason. He began them, mostly. The kingdom of heaven is like. He says, I want to tell you what it's like. I want you to feel it. And then you go with the sower, and then you travel along the journey of parable, and your imagination is awakened and heightened, and you're not in some place where simply you come to have your prejudices confirmed. Often it comes to shatter those, and you say, I never thought of that. Just think about that. What does it feel like? The kingdom of heaven isn't a definition, it's an illustration, and we're drawn into it, and I hope that we're going to be drawn into these two psalms. Right. Psalm 126. Two words that we're going to borrow and let the psalm speak for itself. First of all, and I said two contrasting words, and you couldn't have more contrasting words than these. Laughter and tears together. Laughter and tears together. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. But then those who sow in tears, who go weeping, carrying seed. What a contrast. So it begins, we were like those who dreamed. Do you dream? What are your dreams like? That would be interesting if you were to say, you know, how I think sometimes uh, in our services, particularly the youth things, they say, talk among yourselves. I think that's because they haven't done their preparation and they're padding it out. But if you did talk among yourselves, no, it's true, I think that. If you do talk among yourselves, what would you say um, about your dreams? Or would you rather not say? Dreams are interesting things. They were like those who dream. The trouble with dreams is 
They lack substance and reality. You dream, you wake up, and that's it. Interestingly, during the whole process that we've been talking about the building, some people, one person did say to me, yes, dream on, dream on. You can't be serious. Well, some dreams do come true. Not all. Do you dream? We were like those who dream. Is it too good to be true? Oh, have you heard somebody say to you, look, that's all very well, but don't be carried away with your dreams. Keep your feet on the ground. Dreams can be infectious, but dreams can also induce jealousy. We compare ourselves unfavorably with other people, like a young couple who have just got engaged. That's all very well. If you are not, or they've announced uh, a birth of their child, if it doesn't happen to you, or your children have got four stars in their A-levels, and your son can hardly get a GCSE. When you share with people, it can cause unfair comparisons. So what does he say here? When the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we, like, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. It's too good to be true. Or, think of somebody who's had a long-term unemployment and their dream has come true. They've got the job they always wanted. Think of that. I read a story, I don't know if it's true, it could be, of an older man who on Saturday morning always went down to the pip shop, a bit like ours in the village here, and bought his paper and a lottery ticket. Now, I've never bought a lottery ticket. I don't know if you have. And he would... He used the same number, he did it for years and years, and go and visit his daughter on the way home, give her the lottery ticket, have a cup of tea, and never thought about it. Until one day, his daughter looked at this number, and she had a mixed emotion of joy and fear. Joy, because a million pounds, can you imagine if you won a million pounds, what would you do? But apprehension, he's getting on a bit and he's got a weak heart and uh, this will kill him, she thought. But she had to tell him. Now what does she do? How does she do it? Well, the, 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 the account that I read, the daughter said, I'll ask the vicar to call. But for the purpose of this illustration, let's say she asked the pastor to call. Because she thought he can talk around any subject and uh, eventually, you know, that sort of thing. So, the pastor goes to visit this elderly gentleman who's rather frail, got a weak heart and not in the best of health. And he talks around the subject and all sorts of things, you know, as one does. And then says, now Bill, just suppose, just suppose, mind you, you won the lottery. What would you do? 
Uh, so he went quiet and he scratched his head and said to the pastor something like this, I'll tell you what I would do. I'd give half of it to the church and the pastor fell over and had a heart attack. <laughs> Dreams. Do you believe them? We were like those who dreamed. Laughter and tears. Let's look at two little headings very quickly. The first, reflected joy, verses 1 to 3. You see it there. Looking back over our lives. This backward glance for a moment. However long we've journeyed. You just have a quick backward glance. Their dreams had come true. Look at verse 2. Their, their mouths were filled with laughter. Their tongues with songs of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The, the, the unbelievers looking on. The commentary actually says, the pagans said this about the children of Israel. Whether it was a compliment or what, or it was cynicism, it's hard to say. But their dreams had come true. Their joy was, was unreserved, unfettered praise. And in verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Look at that. Even the unbelieving nations could see something of the glory of God, their reflective joy. But look, there's also restrained joy. Look at the last part of this verse. Okay, so much for dreams. But the danger with dreams is, if the human experience is anything to go by, is that the dreams can turn to a nightmare. If I'd only known. A sense of utter despair. Now, our only cross-reference, it, it should come up in front of you, is the book of Haggai. And uh, you don't, if you don't, you don't have to turn to it. Let me read it to you. The context here of these, what's called the minor prophets, is that period in between. Yes, they're going to build. They're going to rebuild the, the rubble after the ravages of war. But people soon, their enthusiasm waned, their criticism increased. And the context here is a bit like this. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm, or you're not contented. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought your ways. Go into the mountains, bring down timber, build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and honour it, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy in your own house and so on and so forth. So easy, isn't it, that our hopes can be deferred, dashed, and enthusiasm dwindle. And that which once was such a priority now is a bit ragged at the edges. Dreams can turn to nightmares, but dreams can also be very poignant. I hope you've had the opportunity to see the film Le Miserable. Fascinating film, 
lovely musical. But perhaps one of the haunting songs is I Dreamed a Dream. Some of you will know if you've seen it. I dreamed a dream when times gone by, when hope was high and life was worth the living. But then within that is the sense of injustice when things just seem not to work out. Laughter and tears. Well, it's got it all, hasn't it? Come to Psalm 127 as we try to um, apply this. Laughter and tears. Two words then that we take from the psalm itself. Unless and in vain. Unless and in vain. At uh, our dedication service this morning, this psalm was quoted. Unless the Lord builds the house. So we're not necessarily thinking about um, our building project, though this is the Lord's house. But setting up home, as you have it in Psalm 127, it's builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Unless and in vain. It's, this is a very concise psalm, with, and yet with a comprehensive message. Look at, the, look at the headings that we could pursue, but I, I leave you to do that. Verse 1a, building a home. When does a house become a home? If a house is about a, a building that suits your need. A home is a place where authentic relationships flourish. Conflicts are dealt with. Repentance is expressed. And love cultivates. It's not always so, is it? The building of a home. The second heading, verse 1b, civic and national security. How blessed we are in this country. When you think of, of the security that we have, the high degree of peace and prosperity that we enjoy, and if I may include myself, how easy it is to complain. You think of some parts of the world where, where there is civil war and injustice and the poor are crushed. Parts of inner cities that are run by drug barons and people are afraid to go out in the night and so on. This whole idea uh, in Psalm 127 that the watchmen stand guard in vain looking to see for the encroaching enemy. And the third heading here is this, a strong work ethic. Don't feel guilty about working hard. But whatever you do, don't think that this is the subtotal of your whole life and existence. So what do you make of it? In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Strong work ethic. And then lastly, look at 3 to 5, procreation, family and commitment. 
we were symbolically reminding Grant and Claudine this morning at that dedication that in bringing their child they were giving back to God that which was rightfully his. And maybe in 20 years' time when perhaps the child says, I want to do something for God, and some Christian parents would say, I'd rather you had a proper job. And you need to go back to him and you said, do you remember what you did? Procreation, family, and community. Any child that is born to a couple is not exclusive to that couple, but to the wider community. Let's look at it in a general sense for a, for a moment. To ignore the teaching about the faithful providence of God can lead us to a sort of lifestyle that is hedonistic and ultimately self-destructive. The children may well rise up and say, yes, you've given me everything except yourself because you're too busy. They labor in vain. We go to bed late. We get up early and we just haven't got time. And we burn the candle at both ends. And we put strain on ourselves and we develop ulcers and headaches and heart attacks. And we put pressure on our marriage and extramarital affairs and arguments and divorce. And we neglect our children with wrong relationships. And of course, after it all, we defend our behavior by protesting that it's, I'm doing it for you. Well, it's easy to say these things, but you see what, what we have here. Unless the Lord. But what's it all about? Can we do with lesser things? One of the things that's really touched and humbled me of the little I know of the giving of folk is that they've been willing to sacrifice a holiday to change the car, uh, to sort out the kitchen, to, in order to, to, to give to something greater than themselves. It's a very humbling thing, isn't it? Unless and in vain. So the challenge of the psalm, all four of these are two things. All four of these headings. Building a home, civic and national security, a strong work ethic, and the procreation of family and community. Those four things, all four of these, right, are a source on the one hand of immense blessing. They are gifts from God, immense blessing. But equally, they have the potential to be a source of profound anxiety. Yes, they are a gift of God. But when they become an end in themselves, something has happened. And the, the test usually is this, that the relationships become strained. So we share the same bed and yet we grow apart. We share the same mortgage, yet we're not communicating. Unless the Lord builds, we labor in vain. Nothing wrong with working hard, but it's a fine line. It's a fine line. For sure, if people hadn't been working hard and giving generously, what could we achieve in terms for us as a church? And yet, it's incumbent upon me from this psalm to say that these four are a source of immense blessing and the potential to be of profound anxiety. 
It's a fine line. I guess most of us have crossed over it at certain times. So, a question. Unless the Lord, apart from the Lord, the implication is anxiety, insecurity, restlessness, and futility. Is it all futile? Is it all in vain? Unless the Lord, that's a strap line. But with the Lord, the same things. Purpose. Peace, that big word which is the shalom of God. And restfulness. Are you a person who is at ease with yourself? Restfulness. To find rest in the Lord in all of our experiences. And so, this remarkable psalm unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. What's it about? Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. He grants rest, sleep, to those he loves. Sons are, of course, that's typical of the, the, the Psalms that they, they feature, the male progeny. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a son's born near you. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And this whole idea that at the gate where where quarrels were settled, where judgments were made, where people were called to account, where a sense of mutual accountability was expressed, and then you moved on in your journey. I feel like saying that the psalm should end by saying, rest well. Rest well. Restored and blessed laughter and tears unless the Lord well what's it about but with the Lord for sure there's a much deeper and glorious purpose we're going to sing our final hymn this lovely hymn of Charles Wesley which captures something of the, the whole rhythm uh, of life it's um, it's one that's familiar to all of us, I'm sure. Forth in your name, O Lord, I go. My daily labour to pursue. You, Lord, alone, I choose to know. In all I think or speak or do. Help me to bear the easy yoke. And every moment watch and pray. And still to things eternal look. And hasten to that glorious we can stand and sit.